The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot, no longer restricted by the way, Roger, currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline carrier with over 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard flight 141 of the Squawk Eyed In podcast, recorded on the 15th of December, 2023, from high atop the 10th floor of the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Crystal City, Virginia. On today's flight, we can see the end of 2023 on the horizon. Yeah, it's a curved horizon, folks. It's not a flat earth lip. Another podcast, another show. We celebrate Season 5's final flight. Captain Roger, Alex D., Terry S., and Aviator Tony will discuss the required flexibility of private schedules versus airline schedules. We'll also talk about temporary duty assignments, the 750-hour mark at Sandpiper, and international wide-body flying over the holidays this season. So stay with us as we run our final checks, and we prepare to push off the gate. Flight 141 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Well, joining us today is an exceptional aviator and co-host. He is a professional CFI, double NMEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, the Salt Falcon 900EZ in 2000, and G650 commander. He's a captain and director of flight operations and corporate operator as well. He joins us after a hectic few weeks of flying into the unknown. From somewhere in San Diego, California, please help me in welcoming to the show our very own Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? Well, you know, I got to tell you, Tony, um, I'm just glad it sounds like both of us got promotions or upgrades from the uh, from the last episode where I was not a real captain and you were restricted captain. So I'm just tickled <laughs> right now that both of us have 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 managed to to upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. We're moving up I mean, in our least, career, at least in the in your introduction. Well, you know, our career is very that every stepping stone that we take is always a, just a minor step right you know you start out with your private that's and then you take that check ride and you like you have that certificate in your hand and you're like oh wow someday i too am gonna be a real pilot all right stop record scratch no uh you are a pilot you have a license to drive congratulations you're just now gonna elevate to the next step and that's what you do. You step it up to your private instrument. And then maybe your commercial, commercial single, commercial multi, and then commercial instrument multi. And then you go, you just keep going, right? Um, and eventually you get into like a career opportunity. And Roger, you, you felt this both at an airline environment and in the Part 91 environment. And every time you have one more aircraft, one more type rating, one more step, one more check ride, one more FAA medical pass. It's all these minor things that add up to a giant career. And the more you know, that's that's one thing I will say 
you know, there always is one more thing, but I guess from where I'm sitting for you, um, and, and Rob and Terry to a certain degree, uh, you have much less of those now, like you've made it. Captain Tony has made it, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you're not going to retire on the Airbus 320 series. Um, Probably not. But you're a, a legacy airline captain. And, you know, that's pretty much it for, there's not really anywhere to go from there. You know, Terry has, has made it, um, you know, even albeit in the right seat, but the, the path is out there for him. It's laid out. I think he's even off probation now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's much harder for him to get in trouble. Um, and same thing with Rob, you know, obviously sitting in the left seat of the legacy as well. And that is something that I do think about something like it's, there's just, it does seem like there's more for me. There's more pitfalls, I guess. Yeah. In doing what I do. Um, and there's lots that go into that that have, have actually come up within the last month um, that I can't talk about a lot of it, but you know, in the part 91 world, it's all very fickle because you're dependent on one, on one person. Or yeah. one corporation one owner, or, and you yeah, never really one. know what's going to happen next because there is always another job. Like, when was the last time you guys updated your logbooks? I gotta admit, every leg and paper as well. You're nuts, Not Alex. You don't trip. count. Why? You every don't... trip, I have, I do my no, digital Alex, ones. Every Alex, trip. you don't count because you are going to need to submit your logbook for that logbook review. That's that's, yeah, that's, that's just reality. Okay. No, yeah. okay, I'll agree, but still, but every trip. for these guys, you know, maybe the electronic versions, but and I now I need to stick my. I apparently stuck my foot in my mouth because I asked a question that I obviously did not know the answer to. Electronic um, logbook, it updates from the cloud every leg. It pulls data from Sirium, and. Uh, so and you don't actually it. have to do anything. All I have to do is hit autofill now. Oh wow! <laughs> Technology. Wow. You know, and Terry uh, is our is our uh, our uh, home uh, tech guy. So if there's any any kind of question about you know the best way to do things or an app for that, nah, Terry's the guy to talk to. But yeah, Roger. So I had to eat my words there, but yeah, my point well, still is that you know you guys aren't don't, you guys don't need to. There will be no more interviews for for you guys versus for me, I know that there will be. Well, yes and no, because I mean, I mean, let's look at uh, Captain Keith who we had on the show a couple shows ago. Um, I, I'm happy to report he is flying. He is flying. Uh, I would think it was a citation jet um, around. He did find employment and even post retirement. Now, granted, once you get up there and you can just go, well, here's a printout from my employer showing that just at my employer, I have 32,000 hours of flight time. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares what your little private pilot, student pilot logbook said back in the whenever you started, right? A couple decades back. Who cares? Because you've clearly have multiple type ratings. You're a wide body captain in retirement. Fine. But yeah, you're right. Alex is is our our guy who is in the process and his journey. And we love hearing about how he's progressing and he will need to keep something up, whether that's an electronic form, whether that's a paper log book or what have you, he's going to have to present that. And I remember one, uh, you know, interview question that I'm so proud that I answered this way. I was, it was many, many years ago, well, 20 years ago, and I was being interviewed for Sandpiper 
And during my logbook review, the captain that was uh, doing or conducting that portion of the interview asked me, is your logbook accurate and truthful? And without missing a beat, I looked him right in the eye and I went, sir, my logbook is as accurate and truthful to the best of my ability and knowledge. And he smiled and he goes, good answer, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, and that's a whole other topic, logbook accuracy. Um, it's a legal document. That's why it's on green paper. So you can't photocopy it or white it out. No, it's not. Not the Jep ones anymore. Jep ones have switched to white. That big book. It's you know, not green prof- anymore? No, it's all white. That's bonkers. Mine's white. Yours is white? That's, that's one, the one that I've had since Tailwind. Oh, since Jesus. I don't build flight time nearly as quickly as you guys do. I'm on my third Jeppesen Pro green yeah. paper. No, book. if you if you if you order a new one, uh-huh. they are going to come white. That's racist. Hey. <laughs> apparently Jepson ran out of green paper. That's the that's the rumor. Well maybe yeah, or maybe it's cheaper. Yeah, whatever. Probably. But, but let let us well, continue. That, you can actually like white it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Well, let us continue with our introductions here before we we, we start going off on more tangents. Uh, also joining us today is another outstanding aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, a certified flight instructor, and an Embraer 175 pilot and pilot recruiter for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from his home podcast studio, where he is getting ready for a two-day trip into the holiday blizzards up ahead. I hope you're avoiding Miami and New York. I'm just saying. From his newly remodeled studio from somewhere in Justin, Texas, please help us in welcoming to our show, Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? Good. I'm uh, hanging in there. Glad to, you know, record an episode. It feels like it's been forever since the last one. Well, it has. I remember the last yeah, I remember the last one that we did. I was sitting on the floor right over there. Now I'm sitting at my desk. Yeah. Recording. From my, yeah, from I can my see your uh, your uh, shelves in the background there with all of your accolades and accomplishments and some memorabilia from the family's uh, history in aviation. I remember the first time you gave me a tour of your of your parents' home and all the wonderful historic photos on the wall i can see you have is that uh is that grandpa you have back there uh on the top shelf where top shelf that's my uh wife's uh grandfather that's him and his flag and air force hat but the picture is of him in his army air corps uniform where he was a b-17 pilot mm-hmm. you have some big shoes to fill my friend big shoes well I got I got that plus my grandfather's plane. You can't see it. It's a picture on the floor of the Corsair back there, plus my uncle's flight helmet. And then well, we all know my father. So yeah, I'd say I have some big shoes to fill. It's yeah. uh, aviation lineage. Yeah. And and I'm very happy that you now have a space to probably display all them. And we, we look forward to uh for those watching on the videos, which I'm sorry, it's been quite some time since I've posted a single YouTube video. But when these finally go up on YouTube, <laughs> you'll be able to see yeah. Alex's background. Um, eventually, someday, you never know. I'm be sitting here on reserve uh, in the hotel maybe the rest of the month. So let's find out. Hopefully, uh, I'll have some opportunity to get those edited and posted soon, too. But Alex, I, thank you for, for joining us I, today. Uh, I do have one piece oh. of memorabilia from the Squawk I did. Look at that. 
so Alex is holding up a uh, a square photo. It's the album cover art from the episode that we recorded with his father, where he uh, was gracious enough to basically give us the detail of his journey in aviation and how times have changed. And my favorite quote uh, came from that episode. And your father said to us, seniority is not everything. It's the only thing. And it just, just blew me away. Just blew me away. And in this industry and in this, especially the airline career industry, um, definitely uh, very wise words. So thank you, Alex, for, for sharing that with us. Um, also joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He's a retired U.S. Army colonel and former Black Hawk battalion commander. His journey has led him to operate Apaches, Black Hawk C-12s, UC-35s. He has a master's degree in management and strategic studies, and he's a former Embraer 145 and Boeing 737 pilot, currently 7576 pilot for Transglobal. The name we use here on the show is an alias to his employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from where he is allegedly watching his sick children, not flying much while on reserve. From his home podcast studios from somewhere in Northern Virginia, help us in welcoming our very own Terry S. Terry, how you doing? Doing all right. Uh, you know, just uh, hanging out at home. I'm on my uh, last day off of a stretch of two days. Um, and then I go back on, uh, on reserve tomorrow. Uh, I got a, uh, I got a phone call a little while ago, um, that I did not answer because I'm not required to yet, huh. uh, from crew scheduling, uh, assigning me short call for tomorrow. So, um, Ew. I'll, uh, I'll call them back when I'm uh, contractually obligated to do so until then I will ignore it. Um, <laughs> wise, wise words from a very wise man. Did you hear that ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> I will not answer the phone or call them back until I am contractually obligated to do so. I can't tell you how important those words are when you're starting a career in an airline. Everyone is so gung-ho about learning their, their FOM or flight operations manual, right? The procedures that your company goes through. And then the next thing you're going to learn in long-term training is to get your type rating is systems and the operation of your aircraft and the type rating and passing your check rides and your stage checks and all that stuff. And then you get on the line, you do IOE and you get out there and now they release you to IOE and now you're on reserve and now you're trying to learn how to, how to bid and you're trying to learn how to get flying and, and what's my, how many hours do I need to get in so many days for my consolidation and all this stuff. And we all do the same thing. And that's unless we come from a long line of aviators we don't realize how important it is to know the contract and learn the contract. And most airlines have a, a union website that will handle spreadsheets and flowcharts and all these things to learn the bare bones minimum basics so that you know when to you're obligated to do things. And it's important to do so because if the scheduling department, say, calls you while you're at rest, and they assign you a trip, and then you go, okay, I'll do it, because, hey, you, you, know, you want to fly. That's why we're here. And then what you don't realize is you've allowed them to break their contract, their rest requirements, and now technically you are supposed to have, say, 10 hours of rest from the moment they contacted you, but they, now you're flying something that is outside of that, 
So now you're breaking the contract and you've set a precedence and then that allows them to do it to the next person and the next person and the next person. And then all of a sudden the union goes, what are you guys doing? And now you have a kind of a mark, you know, from your union reps like, hey, do you see what Terry did? So very happy to hear that you will call them back when you're contractually obligated to do so. Very good job, Terry. Yeah, you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta follow the rules. They uh, they don't. Uh, the company is they're not likely to do anything for you that's going to benefit you and cost them, uh, unless they are contractually obligated to do so. So you know, it's uh, you you play the game. You you do what you are supposed to do, what you're obligated to do, and uh, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's important to learn. You're not going to learn it overnight, but it's important to ask the questions. You know, um, how often one of my frustrations, uh, and I would say lately, has been these Facebook pages. Yes, I dare said Facebook. You know, you think, oh, he must be old. Well, yeah, I am. But a lot of airline groups will start a group on Facebook, like uh, Los Angeles flight attendants on reserve page or, you know, New York pilots for Delta Airlines page, or, you know, some of the airlines have a below the line, meaning uh, first officers only page. So you join these pages so that you can kind of get a scoop on what's going on. Hey, did you hear this? Or, or someone might pose a question like, Hey, the scheduling just called me and they gave me a triple deadhead to get to my layover. And they said I was legal for it because a deadhead doesn't count. Is this true? And people will comment, well, I beware anyone that relies on those comments because look it up, call a rep, call, call, get it right from the horse's mouth because a lot of those comments are intentionally sarcastic and false. Um, I, I don't like those pages, although I do follow them because I too want to have a general understanding of what everyone's thinking and, and you know, what direction the group is going in. So beware of those Facebook pages. Um, and I'm really, I'm really happy when I hear from a pilot that I'm flying with that, oh, actually, I'm not on Facebook or social media or anything. And I go, good on you. Yeah, so, so knowing the contract means getting the information in parts and pieces as the scenarios happen to you. Go directly to the union rep. That's what they're there for. You're paying dues every month out of your paycheck, right? If you're an airline pilot, you're paying dues every month. What do you think that money is for? It's not just for when you get in trouble for legal representation. It's to answer your questions. I call that 800 number quite often and go, hey, is this legal? What are my options here? And then what the nice part about that is they'll tell you, and then they'll, sh they'll tell you where in the contract to find it. Because at the end of the day, that's really the best way to become self-sufficient. Where can I find the information? And I guarantee you it's not on Facebook. Well, Roger, uh, on the uh, beginning of the introduction, you were telling us uh, in the pre-show a little bit about what you've been going through and how you've been hectically flying around. Can you tell us how your flying recently has been pretty fluid? I mean, is this normal for a Part 91 operation to just get the call and be like, I need you here now? 
<laughs> that's a, a loaded question that depends on where you're at. Um, it's it has been a little bit different from where for me with over the past couple weeks or so, and it will be a little bit going forward. You know, because what we do in in our operation and in a lot of Part ninety one, it's it's more of an on demand thing because you fly for an entity, whether that's a private owner, whether that's a corporation. Um, and, you know, I can't get into details, nor do I want to, but, but the people that, you know, for, for me personally, um, we fly for individuals and those individuals are people too. And those people have problems just like the rest of us do. And unfortunately, in this particular case, it, it was a last minute phone call because something had happened in their personal lives that that required immediate action. And in this case, required immediate action without really a final solution on exactly what the trip was going to look like. And so I left at the last minute and blasted off um, 3,000 miles away and wasn't really sure when I was coming back. Yeah. And you know, it's just one of those things that does happen. It, it does not happen very often. Um, but it did. And given the circumstances, we did what we needed to do for the principal. Yeah. And that's about kind of what it turned out to be. And it did come at a personal sacrifice because it not only was it, was it a last minute, um, it actually was a little bit odd, you know, what the original plan was. I, what I, th I thought the original plan was going to be, it turned out to be much longer than that. And so um, I ended up having to fly, fly commercially to go get the airplane to then fly it back empty to get a pickup and think it and kind of worked out to my advantage that we did because I did not pack enough clothes. Okay. And then I had an extra hour after getting, fortunately, because I live only about three miles from the airport, I ran back home in the hour that I had before. Um, the passengers showed up and I had to grab an additional, I grabbed an additional five days of clothes because I'd only packed three. Yeah. Um, so that kind of worked out to my advantage. And then we left and we, we ended up being gone for six days total before coming back. But it, it, again, from that personal cost, yeah, it, it was, they were long days. Um, we airlined and then we flew an airplane empty and then we flew, it wasn't quite 3000 miles, but um 2500 miles and so we did all that in one day and then on the on the when we came back we actually had a two short a round trip very short and then flew the 2500 miles back and so you're talking 17 and 18 hour days um of um of being awake being quote unquote on duty i mean you know you guys have five hour sits sometimes um and that's kind of what it was. We fly and then we had, you know, five or we had six. It turned out to be six hours in between, but then flying the long lead back. But it's just one of those things that um, we had to do. These people, they are people too. And things happen in their personal lives, just like the rest of us. Um, and this was just one of those times that, that required, that, re that required immediate action on our part without necessarily knowing everything. And, and we did. Even even though it does come at a little bit of a sacrifice, and we don't have a union that says, "Hey, I'm not obligated to do that," right? And that I think that's probably you know we've over the years that we've talked about this on the show, 
we've talked about the differences between, say, a Part 35 or 135 or a Part 91 operation versus a scheduled airline where, you know, we've talked about differences from doing your own flight planning, your own fueling requirements, uh, filing uh, transportation visas and and paying for things like landing fees and making sure that rental cars are taken care of versus I just show up an hour prior to the trip, I push a couple buttons on my tablet, download the flight plan, the weather, and if I have to send a message to dispatch, I can just text it to them from inside the cockpit of the aircraft and everything's pretty much taken care of because it's a much larger operation with many more departments in charge to keep that giant engine turning versus an operation where you have only a few aircraft and you're, you know, completely private entity. So you're you're doing a lot more, but we never really talked about how you don't have that union representation when you're at a private entity or a part 135. You don't have a contract that says, eh, don't answer your phone. So there's a lot more required of you. And I know we've talked about this in the past that um, a lot of times airline pilots will go their entire career and think, well, I want to keep flying. After I retire, I'll just go fly corporate. And then they're shocked when the corporate operators go, well, we don't really like hiring you guys because you expect everything to be spoon-fed. Flying, as you've mentioned many times before, is the highlight, the very small percentage of what you do. It's by the time you're flying, the work is done. You've done it all. Um, And so that's something to consider, especially if you're a young aviator in today's market and you're thinking, well, I'll just go fly corporate and I'd, I'd rather do that. Well, that's fine, but this is kind of a good way to kind of get an idea of what you're getting into. You're going to do a lot more than fly. You are going to do a lot more. I mean, all those things that you mentioned at the beginning of that, um, all those things that had to be done, all those things still needed to get done, except they had to get done within the span of a couple hours. There was an international component to to some of this. So there is um, EAPIS filing. You, you know, do you need a visa? In our case, fortunately, it, it wasn't that we didn't need to deal with that, but there's um, the customs, the customs aspect, both in the, in the United States, there's the customs aspect in the other place. And okay, what are we going to do for our transportation? How long do we need transportation? Where are we going to stay? Um, the transportation for the passengers, do we need all of that stuff still needs to happen, except it now needs to happen like right now before we then get in the airplane and have those responsibilities that you know, you guys singularly have just to kind of show up right. and you fly those flights. It's like, okay, did we get everything? And sometimes the answer is no. I mean, obviously there's a, you have to prioritize what needs to get done. A rental car is not something that's necessarily priority. A, a rental car, we ended up with one, but we didn't leave with one. I'll just see as an example. It's like, okay, now that we know that we're going to be here for a little bit longer. All right, now let's look at that. And, and what is that going to look like? You know, then we get a hotel. We ended, you know, well, let's get the hotel for X amount of time. And then we can always check out early. Um, it's stuff like that. It's, it's a very fluid, it's very flexible and you have to be able to work with that. And you also need to be able to self-advocate self-advocate for yourself because you don't have a union there are some times which i have also had in my career that you're you know there there's a request for i want to do this and yeah that doesn't like i we can't we can't do that or i really can't do that because of you know i've got 
this going on in my life and 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 me giving up this so that you can do that that's you know you have to self-advocate and you kind of got to feel that out and hopefully know with with the kind of operator that you're dealing with some you can do that some you can't um and then there are times like the one that we you know that i personally just had the last couple weeks it was what do you need and we'll get it done yeah because you have to be able to kind of feel that stuff out and and in the end it's you know, not every individual is going to be the right fit for every operation. You need to have the right person with the right operation and that, and that person that might be right for one operation might not be right for another, but another person, but that same person that is right for one is not for another. And, and it's, you have to be able to be flexible, find the position that's right for you and that you fit into and that they fit with you also. Um, because it's, everything is different. It's, it's not as cookie cutter as, you know, whether you're at United or American or Delta, they're going to look pretty similar. They're going to debate the, you know, the finer points of their contracts. Sure. And there are differences, but it's pretty much the same. And it is definitely not like that in the part 91 slash part 135 world. Each operator is going to be very different. Right. Right. And, and really it, it's, that's the kind of catch 22. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that is because when you go to an airline, it really doesn't matter. Sure, there are some nuances that are different, but they're all pretty much going to operate very similarly under the the nuances and the guise of what the FAA would require for you know your typical airline operation. But when you get into Part 135 or Part 91, really, there's so much more variance there between who you fly for, who who's your boss. Uh, what region are they flying in? All these things. And so you may have a kind of a bad experience at one operator. It doesn't mean they all operate that way, you know? So you kind of have to be a little bit more flexible when it comes to the private flying, I think, is what you're, is what you're saying. Yeah, you got to be flexible. You have to, first, you have to find the operation that fits right with you and your goals and your personality. And then once you get in, get into that, you hopefully will know getting into it, hopefully, how much flexibility there will be in that. I mean, you could end up with a part 135 that operates on something like a, you know, a, a, a 15 on eight off or something, in which case, if you're 15 on, you, you better be flexible because that is your job. Right. If you are on your on section, you're going, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. If they want to go mountain biking, it midnight you're gonna go and fly them to their mountain biking at midnight you can't say no versus like what i do in a lot of 91 operations okay well i literally was up all day and, and then i just got my kid who's sick to bed and i haven't slept and now you want me to go fly that that's just that's not going to happen right um and that's that self-advocating but it depends on the operation that you're that you're in yeah. And then you'll, you'll get to know if you are doing the part 91, you'll get to know the owner or the executives and kind of what their operation is like and what their expectations are. And then you kind of need to, to operate within the framework of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for explaining that. That, that really does, I think, clarify a couple things for those that are kind of deciding maybe they're working on their commercial or their instrument rating now and they're thinking well i don't know if i want to go airline side or corporate side it does give you a little bit of better representation of what you're dealing with uh, on both sides there 
Now, we've talked about the flexibility of schedules, and I know I've mentioned in the last show that I was going to be TDY'd, uh, temporary duty assignment, temporary duty, TDY, um, to a DCA. Now, the, for legacy airlines, when you're uh, based in DCA, you are responsible for three airports. That's Washington Dulles, IAD, Washington Reagan, which is DCA, and then Baltimore. Maryland, which is BWI. So I could get a phone call from scheduling and say, I need you to fly out of Baltimore uh, tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning. You're doing a three-day trip and I would be responsible for it. Now, why? I know some of you are thinking, Tony, you're a LA-based Airbus captain. Why are you in TCA? Did you volunteer for this? No. Now, there are provisions that you can volunteer for a temporary duty assignment. Why would you want to do that? Maybe you want to go check out flying in the East Coast for a month in the wintertime and be able to see museums, make a little mini vacation out of your days off. So you can volunteer for it. Or if they don't get people to volunteer for it because they do post it, like, hey, we need three, people, three captains from LA on the Airbus to go to DCA next month. If nobody volunteers, then they have to do what's called an involuntary TDY. And I was unfortunately selected for that. Now, yeah, I kind of roll with the punches. Was it an inopportune time in my life personally? Yes. Is it during the holiday season when I'd rather have days off at home, spend with my family? Absolutely. Um, but it is what it is. And at least over at Legacy, when you get involuntarily TDY'd, then they put a little check mark on that box and you don't get involuntary TDY again, usually for about a year. Um, so, and I know that there, somebody can probably correct me on the contract. There might be some provision in there um, that explains that, but um, yeah, I got nabbed for it. So starting de December 1st, I was based in Washington, DC. And so when the bidding process happened in November, uh, I didn't bid in uh, L.A., I bid Washington, D.C., and unfortunately, my seniority could not hold a line. I did hold long-call reserve, which is uh, 12 hours, I think, um, between when they call you and what your showtime is. So that gives you plenty of time. Now, could I be spending time at home and wait for them to call me? Yeah. It's a six-hour flight out of LAX and they don't have one every hour. They only have like two or three a day. So I would, it would not be wise for me to do that. Now, if I was TDY'd in Phoenix, then yeah, I could be home right now, even though I'm on call because then when they call me, I can just run over to the airport and I could even go out of Ontario, hop on another carrier like Frontier or Southwest, someone that does direct. And I could, you know, within an hour or two, I could be at my local airport and within three hours I can be in base and ready to go but because it's a transcon a transcontinental uh, position i i have to be here so they gave me a hotel that's a i got to choose whether i wanted the downtown kind of long layover hotel which is in georgetown um, or the short layover hotel which is in crystal city which is literally across the the causeway or the parkway uh, to the airport. Um, and I chose the short hotel because there's everything I need here. I have malls and restaurants and I have the Mount Vernon trail, which I can go for a run. Um, and it's a beautiful day. I don't know if this video will make it to the YouTube, but 
looking over my shoulder. It's just a gorgeous day. The hotel's nice. Um, so here I am. Uh, this is my second stint. I was here at the beginning of the month. Uh, I did get used for a two-day trip. I believe I posted a few things about that on social media. Um, that was tough. Uh, they gave me a trip on my last day, uh, my last two days, and my trip ended pretty much in the afternoon, but my car was in LAX, so I had to wait for that flight. Now, I could have hopped on a flight that got me to Dallas or Phoenix or Charlotte, and then from there, hop on a second leg, deadhead back home to spend four days at home, which would have landed at LAX only about 45 minutes before the direct flight. And those flights were all overbooked, oversold, and I didn't want to risk sitting in a cockpit jump seat for two, three, four, or five hours. So instead, I took a position on the direct flight. When I showed up at the gate an hour prior and I went to go check in, I checked in as a, a D2. I won't get into the specifics on why or what that means. All, all you need to know is it's a commuting pass, uh, kind of lower in the priority, not a positive space ticket. And I said, yeah, I just want to check in for the flight. And the gate agent goes, okay. And she was looking at my badge and typing in the computer 100 miles an hour. And her supervisor behind her goes, <laughs> She turns around and goes, well, that wasn't very nice. He's like, this is a weight-restricted aircraft. You know, it's raining outside. And I went, yeah, I, I know. Is the cockpit jump seat weight-restricted too? Worst-case scenario? And he's like, it's weight-restricted. It's weight it, that doesn't count. It's part of the weight restriction. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. So the captain comes up, and he sees me there in uniform, and he goes, hey, you trying to catch a ride home? I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, well, uh, it's weight-restricted, but we'll see what we can do for you. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. So I stood aside out of the way and I'm start looking at the flight plan and everything. Yeah, they put 2,000 pounds of ferry fuel on there. And I'm thinking, oh, who's this dispatcher? Come on, man. It says right there on the, on the header, weight restriction. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking to myself, eh, I'm the captain's going to figure this out, you know. So I just stayed quiet. And about 10 minutes later, the captain came up to the gate agent and said, hey, I called the dispatcher, uh, we took care of the weight restriction issue. You're no longer weight restricted. Fill it up. Every seat. And she was like, oh, thank you, Captain. I'm like, See? And he gives me a thumbs up. I'm like, all right, great. So I got a seat on that, uh, was it a nine o'clock departure out of DCA? And it was an A321neo. Pretty big airplane. The uh, wet weather and low visibility that was all the way from Miami all the way up the eastern seaboard, was hitting DCA at the time. So wet numbers, maximum performance takeoff. Uh, we push off the gate, and I, you know, personally, I got a seat. I didn't care. I was going home. I was going to be home. I had plans. I had family uh, issues that I had to take care of and friends coming to stay with me. And so I was just happy to get home. But I got the seat right in front of the exit row, does not recline, on a newly remodeled A321neo with plastic seats and not very comfortable. And as soon as we took off, uh, the guy's seat in front of me, uh, I was at a window, not an aisle, which I prefer the aisle. Uh, he came back, not, not like Terry just did nice and, you know, so he came back, chunk. <laughs> If I was leaning forward just another inch or two, I would have had a welt <laughs> in my head. So for the whole flight, uh, I really 
was frozen in a uh, upright vertical seated position with a seat three inches from my face, my field of vision. Of course, I, you know, I was breathing on the guy's hair, like <sighs> thinking maybe he'll like feel my breath on his hair and maybe put his seat up a little bit. No, it didn't work. <laughs> so almost, almost rather have the cockpit jump seat at that point. Well, huh? yeah, you know, that, that would have been better, but you know, at the time I didn't know I was in that particular seat and we were already boarding and you know what I'm going to do. Captain, uh, it sucks back here. So we push off the gate and of course we go line up and we were too heavy to take off on the runway in use. So we sat there for 20 minutes burning fuel. Then the captain made a PA saying, well, ladies and gentlemen, ATC is saying that we're uh, not able to take off on this runway. It's going to be a long time with all the arrivals. So we're going to go and burn a little bit more fuel off and take off on the, the other runway because now we're light enough we can do it. Okay. So we finally took off late, landed at LAX a good six hours later, and I was not in good shape. And then I had to get on the van that took me to the parking lot, find my car in that giant lot, that employee lot at LAX, and then drive an hour and 30 minutes home in the evening traffic. So yeah, that is some of the things we have to deal with uh, doing this job is you have to, if you're a commuter, uh, be, be kind to your commuters. You know, don't, don't just be like, sorry, you know, oh, well, oh, well, take the next one. Be kind. Do, your, do what you can. Um, give them a cookie now and again. It really does help. Get some sugar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that was my experience so far on TDY. Um, I got in last night after uh, four days at home. I was able to handle some, you know, all the things that, all the honeydew things that you have to deal with when you're at home. And then now, of course, I land here last night and you know the car's busted and this and that and it's like all right so now i'm on the phone all morning trying to deal with it this is what we deal with um schedule flexibility is definitely something you have to learn uh when you're starting out as a private pilot and you're you know just gung-ho to be an airline pilot all you can think about is flying the big birds and making that beautiful landing with a 160,000 pound airplane well that's great but there's so much more that you have to sacrifice in order to do these things. Um, and you just need to be prepared and have the mindset with a good mentality and a good uh, positive attitude to get through it all. Otherwise, you're going to end up taking a crash axe to a parking gate in the middle of Denver International Airport because you just, you've had enough. <laughs> have you gentlemen, uh, Terry and Alex, uh, have you guys felt this commuting or having to deal with... Uh, deadheading and things like that live in base agreed. live in base agreed i i did it for the last year which is part of the reason why we moved out here and uh, generally when i'm doing interviews and people ask about commuting and all that stuff and one of the things i always caveat is that it's really what you make of it when it comes to commuting right like some people do it they love it some people do it and they hate it um but the piece of advice that I always give is live in base because once you do, it changes the the game for the airline a hundred and like a hundred million percent. It changes it. Like it becomes like you're working for a brand new airline at that point. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. When I was at ExpressJet, I, I commuted halfway across the country to go sit reserve in Houston. And uh, that was that was miserable. I mean, yeah, you you fly halfway across the country. Number one, you've got to you got to fight to get to work. Right. Yep, yep. And then when you get there, you uh, go sit in a crash pad. Where you may or may not get used. And then when you don't get used, you hop back, you got to fight to go home. Yep. And, and what ends up happening is, you know, you may be on for, for four days of reserve, but you're commuting in the day before and commuting out the day after. So you're on for six days, you get, you know, you, you may only have two days off between reserve blocks. So you get home long enough to do laundry and repack your bag and you're out the door again. So yep. um, it, it's, if you can avoid commuting, uh, I would highly recommend you avoid commuting. Now, uh, you know, as part of airline operations, you get deadheaded around uh, quite a bit. Um, I've I've had multiple trips end with deadheads. I had one uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, deadheading out of uh, Chicago, and then a week before that, deadheading out of Boston. And and that's usually not as big of an issue because the airline has to get you home, right? Your positive space. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as far as, as commuting goes, ugh, that's, that's no fun. And, uh, you know, even like when I was going through training out in Denver, uh, if I had more than, uh, a day off, uh, the company would let me go home. Um, but then, you know, you're trying to find flights and you're, you're just, you're fighting that whole thing again. And, and there were a couple weekends where, uh, it just wasn't worth it. You know, it, it wasn't worth the, uh, the fight. You finish late, finish sim late, start sim early the, on the day you get back and it's just not worth it. So, um, living in base, like I live 25 minutes from Dulles and, uh, I can be, I, I, like I said, I can be in the parking lot in 25 minutes. And then, uh, so if I'm on short call, like I am supposed to be tomorrow, maybe we'll see um, if that holds true. But uh, if I'm on short call, that's great. You know, we have a two and a half hour call out. I mean, I can be sitting on my computer, messing around, you know, not showered or, or shaved or anything and still be at the airport in plenty of time to uh, to make any sort of call out they give me. And they're usually pretty good. They usually give you as much time as they, as much notice as they can, whether that's three or four hours or it's, I have not gotten a, a right at two and a half hour call out yet. So, um, but if they, if I did, you know, it's not a big deal live in base. And then, you know, when you're a line holder, then you can pick up trips, right? Yep. You can, uh, you can grab premium trips. Um, it, it just, it, it makes life so much better living in base. Yep. Yeah, it, it really does. And we've talked about the quality of life issue. Um, and before the show, we were talking about how, you know, I was not a restricted captain anymore and I've done my, my time and uh, actually did a, a Cat 3 Autolan for an FCC uh, check. Or uh, So what happens is after, what, 90 days, uh, the aircraft itself has to do a Cat 3 Autolan in order to maintain its currency not just the pilots have to maintain currency but 
whenever you're doing the low visibility landings, the autopilot landings, uh, the, the aircraft itself has to has to satisfy a regular cycle, and that has to be logged in the maintenance logbook and documented. And the aircraft I was flying, actually, it was one of my first legs after I was no longer a restricted captain. The aircraft I was flying required uh, a functional check of the Cat 3 Autoland. Um, and so I did it. It was, it was great. We'll be right back right after a brief message from our sponsor. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're back uh, real quick. I, I got a phone call during the podcast from my chief pilot in Los Angeles, one of them. Um, and uh, over at Legacy, I am, for those that don't know the listenership, uh, I recently became a Cadet Academy mentor. I have a, what we call a pod of students. These are people that have been um, allowed into the program for the Legacy Airlines Cadet Academy, and they are currently in flight school. And they range from private pilot all the way through uh, commercial multi. Alex. Uh, is this the you? I, I is this the actual Legacy Airlines Cadet Academy? Yes. Like like the 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 ones who are guaranteed an interview at one of the the wholly owns of Legacy Airlines. You are correct. Okay, I'll talk offline about this, but uh, we have our uh, differences in recruiting about these people. Okay, well, um, you know this is my first experience, and I know Kyle, uh, one of our guest hosts that uh, comes on the show periodically. Kyle is and has been from the onset of his career at Legacy Airlines uh, a mentor, or so he's he's had countless mentees over the years, uh, both in and out of the program, and and that's one of the reasons that Kyle's not here more often is that he his schedule is just so riddled with mentorship. Um, programs, mentoring. And he's been doing this for six years now. And he's, he's really a pro. And, and I've been going to Kyle a little bit about, you know, what should I do with this and that? And so we're really trying to get people to be dedicated to come to Legacy Airlines through one of the holy owns. And we're trying to get them from like the zero to hero, because that is really a major problem in this country is uh, in the United States, finding young people that are interested in aviation and are willing to do the financial sacrifice required um, to, to get all your ratings, it's kind of hard because people are like, wait a minute, this is expensive. And then how much am I going to make? Well, the, the tides have turned over the years, past couple of years with the, the increase in year one pay at the regional. So they have attracted more and more people. But the program is designed so that you have a mentor to help you out. Hey, I busted a check ride, or hey, I'm having a hard time with this oral, or hey, you know, I'm 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 losing concentration and focus, or I got too much going on in my life, or this financial aid is killing me. And so who do you ask? Well, in the past, if you're like myself or Roger or even Terry, you would ask your friends or family that are in the industry. And if you didn't have any, who do you ask? You ask your instructor? Your instructor is what, six months ahead of you in most cases? What do they know? They don't know very much. Um, so these programs are really designed so that you have someone with the actual experience and knowledge, current experience and knowledge, to be able to guide you, to help you out, to give you that support, 
to give you pointers on, on how to overcome certain obstacles that you may be having in your training. And that's what, that's what the phone call I took um, uh, during the show. So I do apologize. Uh, we may have skipped around in the topics. But let's talk a little bit about what we were discussing both before this podcast and on the phone is this age gap. Now you have issues with cell phone and electronic device usage. This has been ongoing. We've talked about this before. We had an entire show dedicated to it a few episodes back. And it's become an issue not just with flight operations. It's also becoming an issue out there on the flight line in training. Can you imagine you're in the middle of an oral and your instructor is knee deep in with their nose in their phone? And you're like sitting there, what do you do? How do you, how do you respond to this? Are they paying attention? Am I just sitting up here babbling? And they go, oh, that's not quite right. Say that again. Because they're really only listening for these key words, this rote memorization. Now, Roger, you were an instructor for a very long time. This was not ever an issue with you because your professionalism is above bar. But how do you, have you ever had an issue where maybe your student was on the phone while you're trying to give oh, them instruction? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I, it, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. As an instructor, I can't imagine, like, that's your job. That's your profession. Um, stay off your phone. Now, I guess the only slight times that I was at, in the sim, there were times that I would do some texting, but never just surfing around, and that's why they're flying around. Um, but students, yeah, I had students all the time that would be on their phones. It's long, it's dry, and it's such a pervasive part of our culture now. And even, and I am not immune to that. I mean, why is it now that for whatever reason, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I need to do is go look at my phone? You said the word need. And even as I talk now, I'm not even sure who's listening to I Terry, I, Terry, Terry. Yeah. So Terry's down there, he's just on his phone. Alex down there on his phone. It's oh, a, it's a oh, sorry. What? Sorry. What? Did you say something, Rod? Oh yeah, I like Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It, it it's such a pervasive <laughs> part of our culture. And I don't I don't know. It's only going to get worse. I don't know what the fix is. You guys have probably seen it on the flight deck. Um, you know, people on their phones during inopportune, during not the cockpit. smartest times. Yeah, during sterile. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, 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 it is definitely unfortunate when that went as an instructor that did doing an oral section where you need to kind of be listening to. I mean, that's the whole point. You got to be listening to what they're saying so you can correct the things that are not correct as they're happening instead of letting them go and then go. Well, I'm waiting for you to use the word P factor, right, or whatever it might happen to be. It's only but, half listening, huh? Exactly. Can you say that again? It's only half. It's only half listening, you know, because you're what? you're just, and, and it, you know, you mentioned this, and it sparked a memory. Here I was. It wasn't a check ride, okay, but it was like a. It wasn't a maneuvers validation, but I was in the simulator, and we're doing this. I think it was loft actually, and so we're in the middle of a loft scenario. I'm the captain. I have my fo, and I turned around because. I was just, I was like, what's going on? Like, is this supposed to be happening? I forgot the scenario exactly, but something wasn't happening in the simulator. I'm like, what's going 
So I just fly the airplane, just fly the airplane. So we, we talked about this, this could happen. And I turned around to see what my instructor was doing. And he was on Pinterest. Okay. So I'm going to, so I just, I just admitted that as legacy an, as airlines in the simulator, <laughs> I have had instructors in the sim fall asleep on me. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, okay. I, the ones that have been on their phone, that does not bother me quite as much. The, the job of the simulator instructor, you have to, I mean, try and put yourselves in their shoes for just a second. They go on with nothing but these alarm bells that go off because engines fall off because that's what happens in the simulator. And then they need to wait for you guys to run umpteen thousand checklists. So they were vectoring you around before they come in and shoot the approach into whatever it is that you guys have in your in, in your guidelines right? for you to shoot that approach for the 19,000th time this month. Cut them a little slack. But when someone's talking to you, make sure that you're listening and you're not on your phone. I'm sorry, what? That's all I have to say about that as a former <laughs> simulator instructor. I'm sorry. Are you, we're talking about... We're saying something? About phones? Yeah, I just ordered my Grubhub. What? <laughs> Actually, I just signed some very important documents, Roger. For real? For real. I just finished the last one. Well, Terry, have you have you experienced this uh, malaise of instruction and nonchalant tomfoolery on electronic devices while you're trying to get some training done at the Legacy Carrier? And if not, had you ever experienced any of that in the military? Um, so generally, I'm going to say no. It it hasn't. I didn't notice it while going through uh, training with Transglobal. Everybody was uh, professional and uh, they were paying attention. You know, there were a couple of times where you would turn around in the simulator and uh, you can see that the instructor has been texting somebody, but you know, there was no, there was no loss of, uh, uh, there was no interruption. To, yeah, there was no interruption yeah. to the training. It was just the instructor, you know, like like Roger said, when you're sitting back there and you're seeing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Uh, okay, yeah, cut them a little slack. I mean, sending out a, a quick text message to the wife asking if the kids, you know, thrown up today. Uh, okay, not not that's not a big deal. Um, and then you know, on the on the flight deck as well. Um, everybody's everybody's been really good like i haven't uh haven't had any issues with folks uh breaking sterile so um military uh it's it's been a little bit since i was in the instructional uh world in the military I, so i i can't really I, I don't remember any specific occurrences. Um, yeah, uh, there, there, I did have a couple. So last summer, summer of 22, I was doing some GA flight instructing and, uh, a couple of my students were teenagers Oh, and, and I did have, uh, one or two that, uh, you know, doing during ground instruction 
uh, you'd see them there doing this, looking at their phone. And, uh, and I would stop, you know, just stop for a minute and wait till they were done. And they'd hear me stop talking. And after a couple of minutes, they'd look up and go, are you done? I mean, you're paying for my time. So I'll sit here for as long as you want me to. But, uh, you know, the, the value that you're going to get uh, from me being on this side of the table, um, you know, you, you, get what from, you get from it what you want to get from it. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and talk while you text or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever the case may be. And, you know, the phone would go back in the pocket and I'd pay attention. But I, I had a couple students like that. It, it usually only takes one time and they stop doing it. Right. Right. And, you know, that's, it reminds me of a story and, and we do have a little bit of time today. So let's get into this one. Uh, a million years ago, a, a Czech airman over at Sandpiper was telling me a story. Tony, you're not going to believe this kid I had last week. Oh yeah, tell me about it. And he said, "Yeah, he uh, he shows up for for his observation flying. This is where before IOE, right before IOE, you go and you sit in the jump seat and you observe a captain and first officer flying an operation, usually an out and back. Yep. And then usually what happens over at Sandpiper is you observe the out and back, and then the FO gets to go home with pay, and you jump in the FO seat." as a new hire, and you conduct your first leg of IOE. Congratulations. And this gives you kind of a leg up on what to expect, I, getting the nod that this is no longer what happens at Sandpiper. But this is what happened to me. And I'm pretty sure Roger experienced a lot of this at his regional. Did you? No? Okay, well, this is what happened at Sandpiper. <laughs> so, so... They just threw me in there. Here, you're going to go from point A to point B. I, okay. Well, at Legacy, that's what you do. You're required to do, two, I believe, two or four ops. It used to be four when I was hired on at, at Legacy Airlines, but now I hear it's two. Um, and so two domestic observations. So you do that in an effort to get an idea of what's expected of you outside of the simulator environment and more in the real world and the pace of everything and what to say on the radio, and you kind of get the idea. Well... This Czech airman was telling me how in the previous week, you know, this kid shows up in the break room, in the crew room in, uh, in Chicago, underneath the bowels of the uh, terminal. And he goes, well, since you're here, uh, let's talk about this Chicago 10-9 chart, the, the taxi diagram. And we can talk about what you're going to be observing instead of you just sitting there kind of in a blur hanging from the tail. Let's talk about what to expect. And the guy goes, oh, okay, sure. Okay. He's a young kid in his 20s. And the captain was, you know, going through, okay, we're at this gate and we're going to be talking, this is what we're going to do. And right about five prior, we're going to tune in the radio. You're going to watch the FO. He's going to tune in the ramp, uh, ramp frequency. He's going to go from operations frequency to ramp frequency. And then when they shut the door, we're going to hear this from the ground personnel. I'm going to give you a thumbs up. And then the FO is going to call ramp. They're going to ask for pushback. They're going to tell you this to a spot. And then after we start the engine, you're going to do your after-start flow, and we're going to run a quick after-start checklist flow, and then I'm going to say call ramp for taxi, and then they're going to tell you to the top and monitor the, um, what's it called? Not ground. Metering. 
monitor metering. metering. Right. And so he's going through kind of step by step the process that he can expect to observe to give him as much of a leg up as possible because he'll be expected to be able to do this in just two legs. And he, the kid pulls out his phone and he's texting his girlfriend like, no, no, I'm at work right now. No, no, no my flight hasn't started yet. Uh, so the Czech airman just is in the crew room surrounded by probably a good couple dozen pilots and flight attendants and things like that. And he just stops and he looks at the kid and the kid looks up from his phone and he goes, are you, do you need to make a phone call or something? Or he's like, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He put it away. So he continues on with his instruction and not two minutes goes by and he pulls out his phone again. Now he's texting his girlfriend. His girlfriend is texting him and he's texting back and he stops and the kid looks up and he goes, you know what? F you. And he walks out of the crew room and the kid's sitting there like, and everybody in the crew room is like looking around like, holy crap, what did this kid do? And the FO is smiling from ear to ear, the, the, the FO that was flying with that Czech airman. And he goes, come on, grab your stuff. Let's go. Planes here. We'll go. I'll show you how to do a walk around. So they go out there and they go do the walk around. And the kid's like, his eyes are all big. He's like, oh shit, did I fuck up? What did I do? You know, did I screw, screw the pooch here? What's going on? So he's, there's no room to sit or stand in the, on the flight deck on an Embraer 145. So he's on the jet bridge and now they're all done boarding and he's sitting there with his kit bag and his, you know, pen and his notebook. And he's sitting there and he sticks his head in the flight deck and he goes, um, captain, are we good? Captain turns around with his coffee and he's like, I don't know. Are you going to pull your fucking phone out again? And the, the, the new hire goes, um, no, you, you won't see it again. He goes, well, in that case, come on in, sit down. <laughs> so he goes you know I think I, he's telling me this story and he goes you know Tony I think I got through to him I think I got through to him because he the rest of IOE I did not see that damn phone I'm like well that's great man that's great he goes until three weeks later when I see him walking in the terminal with his his uh, jacket's not on it's winter time his shirt's untucked it's like all wrinkled and his tie is like all loose and stuff. And he's, he and like two other new hires are walking to get some coffee. And I walk right up to him and his new hire friends. And I look at his, his friends and I go, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves letting, letting your friend walk around looking like a piece of shit. I should write you, all three of you up. He's like, I thought I got through to you, but clearly I did. <laughs> so this was clearly almost 20 years ago. It was like 15 years ago this happened more. Um, <laughs> and so it's it's always been a problem but now it's just become something that is just ingrained it's an addiction that's become ingrained and it's a problem in the industry and the FAA knows it and the FAA will not go easy on anyone that is taken advantage by being distracted for whatever reason but it goes both ways it's not just the pilot or the the FO or the new hire it's also the instructor or the sim check airman you know, it's so ingrained. We have to break away from this. It's become a problem. And I got to admit, I am guilty as well. I really am. And I do my best to not put myself in that situation because I do want to set a good example. You know, and, and how do you react? As a student pilot, have you ever sat there, ladies and gentlemen in the audience, and watched your instructor on their phone instead of giving you instruction. You are the client. You are paying them to provide instruction to you. You're in charge. You're in command. If it's unacceptable to you, speak up. Alex, 
Yes. Do you have anything to say about that? Uh, put so, your, put I, your phone. I mean, I, I obviously I'm the, the most recent one out of all of us to leave the instructing world. Um, and uh, I was never that way. Like, you had me for two hours. My attention was yours for two hours. Also, I enjoyed instructing, enjoyed teaching and talking. So um, I was never on my phone in front of my students. Now, after a student or before my student got there or while they were pre-flighting an airplane or post-flighting an airplane, yeah, I'll be on my phone because, you know, that's when I have my free time to go do that. But it, never in front of a student. Um that, that was just my general rule of thumb because it's aviation and there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to know and a lot to do in a short amount of time that we're together. So I, I was never that way. Um, on the flight deck, I mean, I'm guilty of it. We all are. Um, are there others that I've seen that are worse? Yeah. I mean, I've seen uh, guys browse dating apps the moment we land on the ground. So... I'm oh a, yeah i'm no, a pilot we, we were we were on the ground and he was already swiping and i just looked over and i already had issues with him to begin with and i just went that just adds to it like just just stop but um i mean it you know there's guys that you know get up and they're on their phone and they're reading stuff doing you know doing stuff on their phone and then you know you get those old timers who still have a flip phone that's on a holster on their belt that they flip it open and turn it off before they go to fly. So, I mean, you get the whole, like everything in between there. Um, I feel like I'm in that little bit older generation where I'm not so needed to be on my phone, but I mean, we, we all still do it. It's, it is a problem, but yeah. And and we don't need to get preachy out here, ladies and gentlemen. I know those of you that are like, well, I don't see a problem with it. Um, I get it. You know, I'm not trying to sit here and preach that that we're better than you because, you know, we, we, we see the problem. We recognize it. I mean, we recognize the issues and we try to mitigate, you know, it for, before it becomes a problem. So, you know, just what we're trying to do is raise awareness that it's an issue. It's an issue with students trying to get some decent instruction. It's an issue with people out on the flight line trying to operate an aircraft and the issue really is not whether or not you're on a device the issue is something happens completely out of your control completely not your fault and then they do a little investigation with the ntsb and they find that you trust me they will go through everything they'll be they'll if you have your laptop in your overnight bag they're going through your laptop if if your phone is you're in a backpack stored away they're going through it it doesn't matter you signed your life away when you decided to get an air traffic air transport pilot certificate if anything were to happen they have every right to go through atm statements bank statements when's the last time you had a drink when's the last time you you know what were you surfing the night before were you on Pornhub or were you getting the required rest they're gonna know if anything bad were to happen to you just by happenstance that sounds kind of over cautious, maybe, but it's reality. No, it really is what happens. Um, and you know, you don't want to do shrooms and then jump an airplane. Did you see that the uh, the gentleman that the the murder counts? They're trying to get those dropped because he did not, in fact, try to attempt eighty-one counts of murder. He just 
So I, I haven't really followed up too much on that, but um, I did see that in the feed. Um, but I digress. Don't, don't get me started on that guy. Yeah. Let's put those shrooms down. Alex, yeah. put them down. Speaking of Alex, uh, 750 hours is right on the horizon. What does that mean? Why is 750 hours so significant over at Sandpiper? So at Sandpiper, uh, one of the, the big things that the union fought for, this was before I started there, was the quality of life improvements. Um, obviously, the, the, the huge pay jumps and... Uh, you know, uh, holiday pays and everything that we'd get now. Uh, one of those quality of life improvements was once you earn 750 hours of qualifying time at Sandpiper, you put in a request and you immediately jump to captain's pay. Nice. So it, for me, that is literally a 50% pay increase from where I'm at right now. Well, I mean, realistically, that's a $4,500 more a month that I'll be pulling in while not being a captain. I will earn the pay until I become a captain at 950 hours. So it's a company's self-induced, mm, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's their self-induced motivation Yes. to get the pilots upgraded and moving in a forward direction in their journey in their career, and it's it's basically a a a financial punishment to the to the company's self to get you upgraded as soon as possible, and and it's an incentive for you to stay with the company because a lot of what was happening, and I think the reason this seven fifty uh, pay bump came into effect is people were at an airline for about a year, and then they go, hey, well that airline's offering a big signing bonus with no contract i'm going to go there now and then they just would hop from one ship to the next ship to the next ship in order to get these bonuses and pad their income and the company says enough we want people to stay here and have loyalty so they're offered oh well if you stay long enough you're going to get captain pay whether you're a captain or not well not just that they're, they want it you know people to stay for the flow to to go to legacy on top of all that right like, so you get a bonus to to leave the company is what you're telling me uh, no, no, no. They want they want you to stay. So obviously they're trying to get all this stuff. They want loyalty. They what you're saying is they want all this. So like they want you to stay and not leave and jump ship. So this is every which way that they can to get loyalty out of pilots. And if you, you know? flow to through to mainline from Sandpiper to Legacy, you get another bonus. There's a bonus on top of it. Yeah. So there was, I signed the the contract for it because I mean, it it's a good deal. And if I don't, um, if I don't do the, the bonus structure, I don't, or if I don't, if, if I leave and I'm not paid the bonuses that I've already been owed, like the ones that I'm supposed to get down the line, then I don't have to pay them back. I just have to pay what I've already gotten back. But they, for, for Sandpiper and Legacy, you get, uh, um, uh, a bonus at upgrade. So you get a $30,000 bonus at upgrade. You get a $40,000 bonus completing year one with qualifying hours. You get another $40,000 at year two with qualifying hours. And then you get, it's either a 50 or 60,000 once you flow to mainline. Nice. Nice. Must be so, nice. Yeah. 
it's it, it all it is is it's building loyalties because you know like right now as it sits i've got 734 hours i could go to um i could go where terry works at transglobal um i could go to acme i could go to um national carrier uh, the one national carrier that's based here in dallas i could go to to the gangster airlines where there always seems to be a fight and they would hire me right now like i could get a cjo right but i don't want to do that my quality of life's too amazing so i'm going to be one of those ones that's probably going to stay through the flow because it it the the quality of life and living in base and being high on the seniority list as it stands right now i'm top 40 percent of the company not base company and i've only been there two years because people were people were leaving left and right so why why am i going to give that up to go sit junior and commute and do all that stuff to another place right now it's too easy yeah yeah and and i mean so, we've talked about this it's it's a great time to be in aviation if you're just listening and you're not a pilot and you're thinking i've always wanted to be a pilot and i'm listening because i like to hear you guys talk about aviation well, thank you, number one. Number two, I hope this and all the other shows where we've talked about this just proves the point that the aviation industry is cyclical, and right now we're on one of the, the longest-lasting upward trends in aviation history. And there really is not much holding this to be shortened, with the exception of one thing. And that's the H-67 ruling that we've been getting letters over at Legacy. And I don't know if uh, Transglobal or Sandpiper has their unions have been sending out any kind of information on this. But we have really been hammering down on the fact that they're opposed to the H-67 ruling. It is a safety to flight issue that nobody wants to work past 65. Why are you making us work past 65? It is a Band-Aid at best. These are all terms we've used here on the show. We're kicking the can down the road for just two years, but then how do you deal with the international qualifications that will no longer sit, you know, sit in place? And you know, the union's been sending out emails, um, and it's even hitting the travel news circuit. From Travel Weekly, Robert Silk wrote an article on December 11th, I'll put a link in the show notes, and it's entitled The Case for Letting Older Airline Pilots Keep Flying. Now, it depends on who you ask if they want to keep flying a 67. Usually when people have two, three, four, six, seven ex-wives, yeah, they, they want to fly till they're buried because they got to keep paying alimony or whatever. But most, most of us, realistically, do not want to pa fly past 65. We think, well, I've been doing this long enough. When am I going to enjoy life, right? Well, in an effort, he writes, uh, underway to raise the mandatory retirement age for U.S. airline pilots from 65 to 67 faces plenty of opposition. Although controversial, such a change would not only provide a bit of quick relief to the U.S. pilot shortage, but also has the potential to increase safety. Interesting. Increase safety. 
The House's version of the FAA reauthorization bill, which passed last summer, includes language to up the pilot retirement age by two years. The Senate has yet to pass a companion bill amid a dispute over flight training requirements. Though Republican Senator John Toon of South Dakota, who is a key member of the Chamber's Transportation Committee, recently told Reuters that a deal could be in the offing. Whether the Senate version will include a retirement age increase remains to be seen. Backers of the proposal have pushed it as an immediate, if relatively small, antidote to the commercial airline pilot shortage, which this year stands at approximately 14,000 for North American carriers, according to a recent analysis by the consulting firm Oliver Weinman. That's 14,000 pilots short to conduct normal operations in the U.S. But the idea has powerful opponents, among them the Biden administration, which has noted that allowing pilots to fly up to age 67 is not in keeping with international norms. Airline pilot unions also oppose such a change, citing safety as well as the possibility that prohibitions against pilots flying over 65 in many other countries would prevent such U.S. pilots from crewing international routes. But while it is certainly true, that pilots of advancing age need to have their cognitive and vital health appraised consistently, I found an argument that was made to me by a recently retired pilot to be very compelling. Dev Collin flew 30 years for United, retiring from his position as a Boeing 787 captain in August when he turned 65. He's now on the leadership committee of a lobbying organization called Let Experienced Pilots Fly. This past year brought a lot of attention to close calls in terms of aviation safety in the U.S., particularly on runways and during takeoff and landing, serious incidents that the FAA acknowledges has risen. Colin contends that one reason for the increase in relative inexperience of U.S. airline pilots now compared to before the pandemic, according to the pilot recruitment advisory firm Future and Active Pilot Advisors, Large U.S. airlines have hired more than 24,000 pilots since the beginning of 2022, a massive increase in the hiring pace compared with 2019 when less than 5,000 pilots were hired. Airlines have undertaken these ramp-ups in part to replace the approximately 5,000 pilots who accepted early retirement packages in 2020. They're also replacing a steady stream of pilots as they reach 65, as well as building padding into their pilot workforces to deal with overall reduction in efficiency in the U.S. airspace system and, the, and also another aftermath of the COVID crisis. All these developments have led to a more junior pilot corps than the industry had in 2019. I would say experience matters tremendously in my profession, says Colin. It is critical both with the actual operation and with the people who are instructing and teaching. I haven't seen data to back this hypothesis, but intuitively, it does make sense. Airline pilots over the age of 40 are required by the FAA to undergo health screenings twice annually instead of once, including annual EKGs. That's crucial to safety. Allowing healthy pilots to stay in the cockpit a couple years longer would reduce the industry's newfound collective inexperience while also providing at least a bit of relief in the pilot shortage. So here's an article that's actually raising some interesting perspective that 
it actually would be good to let healthy pilots go to 67. But how do you do that? How do you tell an international wide-body captain, well, you can work two more years, but uh, we got a uh, 737 for you to fly daily, nonstop, to Las Vegas five times a day? I mean, <laughs> I don't even think that argument is necessarily valid. I mean, how do you... So we had an American Airlines 777 cross those runways up in the Northeast. Where was that? JFK? Mm-hmm. Where's JFK or LaGuardia? Yep. JFK. How long had that 777 captain been there? Uh, I, I, I think, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think that when you get hired an American, you can upgrade to the 777 within a few years, right? Yeah. And so it's probably a, a very low-time guy, new... It, it just doesn't, I don't think that that necessarily holds water. And that's a prime example of it. And then you've got the United 777. What's going on with the 777s this last year? 777 in Hawaii that had that debacle. Aren't they older, um, more experienced, more senior pilots to fly those captains? Oh, I, no, I, I'm like I said, I, like at American, I think at United, you can get in and you, and you fly a 777 in the left seat after a couple of years too. I'm sure Derek, Terry, I'm not sure why Terry's still in the right seat, to be honest with you, in such a small plane. Yeah, come on, Terry. Now, just one pause for one second. I know Alex is giving me the signal. You gotta, you gotta pull chocks. All right. Yeah. So my oldest is out early today, so I gotta go get, uh, go get him from the baseball clubhouse. Okay. Well, Alex, uh, let me just say thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your insight uh, on our conversations. Hopefully, uh, we've, you know, all taken some of what Alex said and uh, make our own career journeys a little bit better from all your advice. So thank you. Yes, because I'm so wise and, you know, have so much to give in my two years at the airlines. Well, hey, you're the most recent, uh, you know, newbie. <laughs> We're all, we've all been newbies here before, but you're the most recent one. And we, we do yeah. thank you for your input. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And that's part of the reason why I love this show is just everybody's collective experience. Yep. And have a happy holiday. And we look forward to having you join us again on our next show, which will be season six in 2024 yeah merry christmas alex have merry christmas guys i'll see you guys merry later christmas. have a good one see bye. Ya. bye see ya and and then there were three so I, I mean i say that facetiously but i just i don't i think that none of us no matter what our ages are immune to that and i actually think that they're i mean generally speaking, it's not something that's always going to show up in a physical exam. There's also the cognitive, cognitively things slow down. I'm 40. Things, things are slower than they were 10 years ago. <laughs> and I've got 20, the theoretical 25 years left. And I don't say that as a, as a, or something that, you know, a, a knock again, I will, you can prevent it's nothing that you can do but i don't think that it you can necessarily say that hey if we let these guys stay on for two more years we're increasing safety i don't necessarily think that that's i don't think that that's an argument now if you want to make some other arguments about the pilot shortage i'm you know i'm sure that you could fight both sides of that in the end you're really just no matter at its best you're prolonging the inevitable yeah no i don't but i don't, I don't agree think with that we're any safer either. yeah well i don't think we're any safer by letting <laughs> Well, most of the time, people argue that you're not as safe because they say, well, hey, man, like you said, your cognitive ability and, and physical ability as well, you know, declines. Is two years going to make a big difference for a healthy individual? Absolutely not. Um, but 
it I might... would also argue that for a lot of these guys, they, especially these ones that we're talking about, the triple seven or seven eighty seven captains that have been at that at their respective airlines, because it's all again probably going to be about the same for thirty years. What do they actually know? And that's not necessarily like a knock against them. They've had a great career, and I'm sure you can talk, chalk it up to quote-unquote experience, but those guys show up, and what do they do? Okay, well, I showed up to my gate in L.A., and are we, going to, are we going to Auckland, or are we going to Sydney today? Are you guys ready to go? In All my right, day. Go, go ahead. You guys can fire <laughs> up that engine. I'll sit here and watch. Yeah. Yeah, well. I mean... The shop I don't know. Caller. Terry's down there. He's kind of smiling. He's probably got a little <laughs> bit more experience with this. He's not quite in the in the Uber big boys, but on the seven five seven six, when you're going to transcom, of those guys been there. And I mean, and that's not to say that they're bad pilots. I that's I'm just just as a general generalization, they've been there so long in that left seat, making huge amounts of money. Which good for you guys. Is it experience? Well, you know, yeah, I saw this uh, once in 1975. I saw an airplane that had this similar situation, and this is how they handled it. Let's 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 do it that way, folks. I mean, yeah, there is some experience. Absolutely, <sighs> sure. There's a lot of experience, but there's also a lot of um, other time uh, flip on. phones and old timer steam gauge mentality there uh, that may not be up with the current equipment that is on the aircraft or the current. Uh, procedures and you know you we've all flown with these guys right and gals it's like well this is the way i've always done it so this is the way we'll always do it and it's like that's not the right mentality that's not a safety conscience threat and error management forward mentality the mentality you want is someone that can adapt with the technology as it grows and the procedures as they get safer and you know because everything's written in blood it's all safety conscious i mean the cdti this is this is a new equipment by l3 that the legacy airplanes, uh, the Airbuses are getting in the, on the flight deck. What is it? It's a, it's a basically a way to identify the traffic in front of you so that now you're doing ATC's job. Have you identified a United Flight 37? Yes, I have. Uh, legacy has identified Flight 37. All right, follow a United Flight 37 uh, with a three-mile separation, and you're cleared the visual approach. Well, we're IMC, but you'll get it you're following them on the screen so there are procedures that are in place and these old timers go no i don't use that tell them unable why make them do their job okay so as these different programs come into play at these carriers and operation daily operations that are supposed to help the efficiencies help this overcrowded air traffic control system by having pilots maintain their own separation using equipment that is pretty darn accurate using TCAS to give you the separation. And there are those pilots that go, well, no, make them, make them hire more people, you know? So there's, a, there's different mentalities here that come into play that are contradictory. So what is the right way to do it? Are you going to get that forward-thinking modern attitude from a pilot who's thought he was going to retire at 65 and now he feels like he has to work two more years? Is he going to have the right attitude on the flight deck? Is he going to be forward-thinking and accepting to the new policies and procedures that may be coming into place at that time? All they wanted to do was sit at home and watch Netflix. You know, Who knows? And then how are you going to do with the pay? If they can't fly into international operations, how are they going to, what are they going to do? Are they going to 
pay them wide body pay to fly a seven three around and do four legs a day. It's they can't answer that. Congress can't answer that. So I don't think this is really something that's realistically going to pass anytime soon. Now, Terry, you're a wide body pilot. You fly with wide body captains all the time. Has this topic come up and what are some of the things they're saying? Age 67 is a, it's a hot button issue. (laughs) So without taking a particular side i mean i have my opinions on it and and i think uh without taking a particular side i would say one of the arguments against age 67 and for age 67 actually uh is that you know what's the difference between a 65 year old uh who turned 65 yesterday and a 64 year 360 day guy who has one trip left what's the difference i mean nothing really it's a couple days in age so what magically happens at age 65 that uh makes it uh not a good idea for that individual to fly anymore Uh, and, and nobody can answer that um so what a lot of people are screaming for is let's okay do a study if if we're saying that it's it's a health issue that it's a cognitive issue well show me the data right um transglobal is very data oriented as i'm sure uh, all the airlines are because you know at the end of the day data turns into dollars and uh whether that's saving dollars or spending dollars but um at at the there's no data out there that supports one side or the other so i mean let's let's do a study the faa the the federal government i don't i don't know private organization somebody do a study and you know figure out what uh what is the actual health impact of turning age 65 what's the actual amount of cognitive decline i mean without getting political we've got presidents who don't want to take cognitive tests um you know who are old and probably should have to um but uh i mean you know cognitive decline is a real thing um when does it start i don't know um Let's let's get some studies and uh, and figure I, it I out. I think that those studies are there. The problem is because it's it's all actuarial, right? Now, but what sure. happens on any individual base? Like when does mental when does mental acuity start to decline? Well, that's going to depend on the person. I mean, it's all going to start. Like I said, I, I already know that it's started happening for me. Can you pro- from can the layman notice it? No, probably not because it's very small and then it's, you know, kind of just exponentially is going to increase. But from an actuarial standpoint, we know that you're more likely to die at age 65 than you were at age 58 and more likely to die at age 67 or lose your medical or what. That's just on a population-based actuarial standpoint. Now, the question then is, you know, what are we willing to accept that? I, I don't even, I can't venture a guess on. I just, Why is I it okay for for somebody to to 
fly a triple seven up until their 65th birthday and not okay for them to go sit in that seat after turning 65, but then they can climb into the cockpit of what you fly and go fly it around the world. And I not do not have, any have an answer to that question. Although that's, you know, who has a, you know, who has a bigger input on that though? And in my, in my side is insurance. insurance because the insurance knows those actuarial tables. And at some point they're, they're just flat out don't insure you. And actually is even, I want to say it's executive jet management has a new policy. Don't quote me on that. I think it's them that at age 70, they're no more. Um, because those stats, they, they do exist. There's the insurance aspect of it. There's the IKO aspect of it. You know, that you're not flying as many people around, I think is really what it comes down to. But I, I personally don't have answers to those questions. Well, who, who insures the airlines? Who does insure the airlines? Aren't they self-insured? Or do they have a rider Bingo. policy? I believe they are self-insured. Yeah. And so now what you're looking at is, you know, an organization that insures itself. I, I mean, they can make if the they numbers, have whatever they those want. same, yeah, if they have the access to that same data, you know, actuarial data, maybe they're the ones who are, Really? They have the oversight of Congress, I guess, as well, which is maybe partially why they can do some of why the rules are maybe somewhat different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and I don't have a dog in this fight either. Like, I think, like you said, I don't really pick a side because I can see it from both sides. You know, if they did it, I wouldn't be overly heartbroken. And if they didn't do it, I would not be overly heartbroken either. I just think that that argument from a safety standpoint is. Yeah, I don't. Th I think it's a hard sell to say that it's going to be safer to allow an age sixty-six year old to fly. And actually, I have a, I have another question. I kind of was thinking about this, but Terry, you can probably answer better. Who from it? Who generally puts the enters the flight plan in into the into flight the management computer? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the FO at Transglobal, the FO enters it. The uh, captain is required to do an independent verification. Um, and then on augmented trips, um, the uh, IRO does as well. Okay. But the FO is the one that enters the flight plan. And generally speaking, if it's, does... if it's not, uh, if it's not, well, it, it's, it's uplinked. Uh, you guys just have a recall from, number that you from can put dispatch. in there? Yeah. So, so when we initialize the box, Right. It uplinks and and really the only thing that that we're doing is we'll enter in we'll make sure that it's correct we'll enter in the uh departure the actual uh sid and star uh because those don't get uplinked right and then um uh you know you we'll load wind data and, right yeah who normally does the walk around dfo so if I have, so I'm, I'm, and I'm just spitballing here. And again, I, this is, this sounds like, like I'm anti old guy, triple seven pilot, which I'm not, <laughs> but if I've got a guy that's been sitting, that's been there for 30 years and it's, we'll just, we'll just say the triple seven, it's arbitrary, but a triple seven guy who's been flying the triple seven in the left seat for maybe 15 years, does he know how to enter a flight plan? When was yeah. the last time he did a walk around? Because I bet you that there are probably some that haven't entered a flight plan in a decade. They're, Which, they're very well. Who is be. the who is the more 
well-rounded pilot, generally speaking? There, there very well could be uh, captains out there who, who don't. Uh, I, I will tell you that in my fleet, most of the captains. There's got to be the minority. They, they would. Yeah, have, they're, would they're very so. much the minority. Because like, so, so on our augmented trips, um, we've got the additional FO, and he's the one who does the walk around. He's the one that, you know, gets on the PA, um, you know, seat in the flight attendants before we, we blast off. Um, and then the flying FO really, I mean, gets in and just sets everything up. Um, which is kind of my point. What does the captain do? And if, and again, not that this is a bad thing, but you know, they're, they're the overseer, right. Is really what I think it, it probably comes down to. But in the end, when you've been doing that for a really long time and thank goodness we have such the aircraft manufacturers we we have a very extremely safe aviation system so that things do not happen very often but when you're overseeing something where everybody if they do their job nothing ever happens is this safer to just let those guys just oh well you know everybody does their thing and i'm the boss i I just so for us that's what i see in the wide body fleet for for us the captain so while the fo's up front getting things set up the captains in the back usually briefing the flight attendants because um, they've got a briefing they've got to go through um coordinating with the gate agent for any issues um and uh coordinating with you know with dispatch if maybe the fuel's not right maybe we need more gas maybe we need a different alternate i don't know um and then usually uh, after they've done some of that coordination, they're back up in the cockpit and they're double checking. They're double checking the box, sure. right? They're checking everything. Yeah, verifying they're setting everything. They're up their side, especially um, for those oceanic crossings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I would say at least um, I, I would say for the the wide body fleet, uh, the the captains, there's there's a lot of stuff that they're doing that may not be completely evident to uh the outside i think it's more management and paperwork related than it is it it is it's it's there's definitely more of a management aspect there um but there i mean maybe this this uh, i don't know what the right word is Uh, my words are failing me right now but the at the end of the day, the experience level of the captain, having done it hundreds, thousands, thousands of times, times. Um, you know, having had those emergencies in route and manage those emergencies in route and manage diversions while you're on a, on a North Atlantic track or, or things like that, you know, I, that's, that's what you're paying for. Now, the only flip phone guys that I've flown with are the guys who are right up there ready to retire. Like I flew on my last trip. Um, I flew with a guy who's retiring in February cause he's turning 65 and uh, you know, he was, he was a flip phone guy. Um, he had his way of doing things, but he also, you know, he, he took a lot of the new stuff. He had a lot of the older ways as well. It, yeah, I, I think those guys are are very quickly going away um, because they're reaching that age. 
um, at least from what I've seen, not, uh, yeah, that's just uh, generalization because everybody's yeah. going to be different. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And if I could just interject there, because as, uh, you know, one of the newest captains here at Squawk Ident, um, I was a captain before, I mean, all of you have been, but I think Terry, you, you, you kind of mentioned the experience is what you're paying for. You know, it's you may not have experienced it as the PIC, but in terms of how long have you been in this industry, you probably have seen a lot as a first officer, maybe as a flight instructor, maybe as a student, maybe as a military pilot. So it's that experience, that time in the industry that really counts. And I think that's the argument that is being made from the article that, that I read earlier is you can't replace that. No book, no YouTube video, no instructional home study course will ever experience hands-on actual real-life experience. And I think that's what really makes that decision-making, which is what the captain is there to do. If you have three qualified pilots, all three of the pilots in that flight deck on an augmented flight are qualified to fly the airplane by themselves. That's a fact. They've all been typewrited, they're all checked out, they're all ATP certified, they're all qualified. When something happens, when uh, the, the avenue at which to take for any particular non-normal procedure is in question, because maybe it's not a policy or procedure that's outlined clearly, who makes the decision? Who's the final authority? It's the captain. And the captain doesn't necessarily need to even be correct or right. But as long as the decision is a safe one and is at, and I never thought I'd be a lawyer, sidebar, never thought I'd be a lawyer, thought my knowledge of the English vocabulary is not that good, really don't like arguing. I'd never become a lawyer. Then I become an airline pilot. And after just the first few years of being an actual 121 airline pilot, I realized that every contract, every reg, every operations manual, every procedure has been written by lawyers. And to understand them, you have to translate them from lawyer or legalese into layman's terms. And so you get better at that as time goes on. And you need to remember, whether you're a student pilot or a getting ready to retire captain, the actions I took at the time were the safest course of actions I could interpret with the data I had at the time. Doesn't mean I was right. Doesn't mean, but it was, I'm the four striper, so the responsibility comes to me. My name and my signature, my initials are what go in the book to accept the aircraft. My initials are electronically placed on every single flight release. And if anything were to happen, I'm the one in front of all the crew members at the hearing because I'm, I've got that responsibility. That's what you're paying for. You're not paying for he's a better pilot, she's a better pilot. You're not paying for they've flown longer, more years. The reason I'm a pilot that happens to have four stripes is because seniority is the only thing, to quote Mr. Daigle. So... Does 67 matter? I would argue in the scheme, the grand scheme of things, no, because it is absolutely an individual's personal 
scenario. You don't, you know, both of you have said it. Each individual, there are 40-year-olds that shouldn't be flying right now. And there are 75-year-olds that would make excellent pilots and leaders to this day. So where do you draw the line? Who has the data? The insurance companies have the data. That is, if they want to indulge that information. Because those surveys and those um, you know, recording of that data, they take decades of, of, of information. You know, we need to see what's happening because maybe the 65 year old from the last time the data was collected, which was 20 years ago, is a different 65 year old from the year 2023. You know, so great conversation, gentlemen. I absolutely thoroughly enjoy having these conversations and getting your input and listening to them. Um, you've opened my eyes on maybe if I see a guy with a flip phone, I won't scoff anymore. <laughs> oh, do you like to wear your phone on your belt that way, sir? Um, have you ever, you ever scratched your phone leaning against stuff? No? Okay. So, yeah. Well, now, it was uh, a pleasure speaking with you gentlemen about this. Um, I thought of, like, four other things to talk about, um, but I think we'll save it for the next one. Uh, next season is coming up. I'm really looking forward to it. This year, we, we produced 16 shows. It's a significantly less number of shows than we did in the years before. And I've promised myself, my co-host, and my audience that more shows to come in the in the following year. Uh, format change slightly. Uh, the, the more than two hour shows, two hours is a beautiful mark for me personally because once I start a conversation and we all start talking, I love to just let it go. Um, but yes, we are, we're definitely going to start looking at a smaller, shorter format so that more shows can come out um, and we want to hear from you all the listeners out there that have been so kind to send us feedback over this last year and the years prior we can't tell you enough how much we appreciate that um, all of your support really does help and we're looking forward to season six what's to come well you'll just have to stay tuned and find out i just want to say thank you right now to Captain Roger, to Alex, to Terry for joining me today. And I want to thank all of you out there that have supported the show in 2023 and continue to support it in the future. We do hope that you'll share this podcast online with your friends and your family and anyone that you might think might be interested in aviation. Please be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Out In podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And we also want to know what you're listening on. Send us some feedback. Do you prefer Apple Podcasts or Spotify? or maybe one of the second generation podcast apps out there. We also love receiving your feedback, as we mentioned. So please send us an email or even an audio file. The best way to do that is to record something on the voice memo app on your Apple phone or on your Android phone, and then email it to us. That way you're not limited to the 90 seconds that is on the audio feedback link on our website, which is found at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. You'll find everything there from the pilot shop where you can buy mugs and t-shirts and hats to photos from the flight line, the guest book photo tab where you can see photos of some of our wonderful guests that we've had over the years. And you could also leave a small donation to the show. Every financial bit helps to going to pay for this podcast to get the website up to pay for the editing software, to pay for the subscriptions. All of it goes to that 
and a little bit goes to what we call the beer fund. So thank you. We also want to hear from you from some of the social media websites that we're on. You can follow us. Just follow Squawk Ident on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, would you? Be safe and take care of each other. Happy holidays, everyone. See ya.
fly this plane and land it. It's an entirely different kind of flying. 